ICA Gear has outfitted over 10,000 bow hunters across the country, and we're continuing to raise the bar when it comes to bow hunting camo. New for the 23 season, we introduce our never-before-seen panel fabric system designed to be dead quiet along with our patent-pending bow hunting collar, Osseo Gear. Features and function built for bow hunters by bow hunters. Learn more at asiogear.com. Welcome to the Bear Bow Hunter Podcast with your host, Nate Bailey and Jerry Goins, where we celebrate the ancient paths of our bear bow ancestors, where hard work and woodsmanship outweigh advanced shooting devices, where we value those who've gone before us and welcome those yet to come. Join us as we share valuable insight about the bear bow hunter's lifestyle. Before we jump into this next podcast with Cody Greenwood of Trad Lab, thetradlab.com, um, I want to uh, thank WorkSharp Tools for providing us with some goodies to pass along to you guys. And uh, so I mentioned last podcast the way you win one of these sharpeners is, or, or anything from WorkSharp Tools, they have all sorts of stuff that they donated for you guys. Um, the way you win this is you leave a five-star review in iTunes and leave us a question or a comment or a concern, and um, then we will pick from that group of people for that week who have left those comments and concerns and questions and the five-star review, and out of those people, we will do like a random number generator, and we will um, pick somebody who gets a free goodie and uh last week we were giving away the guided field sharpener the guided field sharpener this is WorkSharp's. um really this is the one that i use for all my broadheads i use it on my single bevels and on my double bevels and on my three blades so this is this um sharpener not only works on that it works on my fish hooks it works on my hunting knives and all that stuff so you guys this is a great sharpener and I am going to give it to, drum roll please, well maybe if I can get my phone started here, drum roll please, this is from last week, and he asked, he asked, uh, he would like to hear a podcast on what your thoughts on fletching or straight or helical, and we answered that in this po- next podcast coming up, so um, your wish is my command, I tried to tell you that I could try to get people on here, I don't know a whole lot about some of that stuff, but I will try to get people who do. So we have Cody Greenwood, and he's going to touch on that subject. But uh, Nick MC1234, Nick MC1234, you are the winner. So get a hold of me either on the Bearbow Hunter page, Bearbow Hunter group on Facebook, Bearbow Hunter on Instagram. Uh, you could message me from the Bearbow Hunter website, www.bearbowhunters.com. Uh, get a hold of me. And we will get this sharpener out to you. Now, the same thing goes this week. If you guys want to get a sharpener, uh, I think we've got the pocket sharpener we're going to do this week. Um, from WorkSharp, they were good enough to give this these. I believe in them. That's, that's the reason that I got these. Is um, I tell you what, this is the one that I carry in my pack. So 
Uh, it's stuff that I actually use. It's, it's real, real, the real deal. This isn't just stuff that, you know, they're not paying me or anything. They gave me these to give to you guys so they could get it out there in the traditional world. But, um, so you guys, if you, uh, leave a five-star review, leave me some questions, uh, give me some ideas about who you'd like to hear on the podcast, all that kind of stuff. You could do it. Um, I'll even open it up to the Facebook group and the page. So if you even do it on there, I'll put you in the random number generator. So, all right, before uh, we get going too far here, I'm going to go ahead and let's jump right into our next edition. This is a good one with Cody Greenwood. All right, here we go. Welcome to another edition of Barebow Hunters Podcast. And today we have with us Cody Greenwood from Trad Lab. How you doing, Cody? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Now, uh, you have Trad Lab, and I think you have a website, correct? Yeah, I have a website, and um, of course I have an Instagram and Facebook uh, account. Uh, the website, I need to get a little bit more active on, but people can go there to basically look at bow data specifically, and then the studies are usually discussed on the Push Facebook uh, huh? group. Right, right. So, so what are you doing with Trad Lab? What what is the main goal that you're doing with that? The main goal uh, is to. So I'm an old guy, so I guess <laughs> I can say this. I'm, I'm, I'm I think I'm turning 43 this year, and um, I'm older I, than you uh, are. <laughs> are you? Yeah. yeah. And um, when I started, I started shooting. It wasn't Trad when I started shooting. I still have my first Ben Pearson. But I shot when I was young, and I've hunted since I was, you know, young. And I wanted to get back into it when I was in my early 30s, and I didn't make a lot of money at that time, so I had to save up all year long to buy that one bow. Right. And I, I did all the research online to, uh, to to make my choice, and I never forget. I was at Compton's in Michigan, and I bought my bow there, and I was really excited. And I, you know, you save all year long. And the next weekend, I'm out by myself trying to shoot and you know I'm shooting a two-foot group at 10 yards and I, I had a bow that was too heavy too short uh, it was kind of really beautiful but kind of hard to sh not kind of it was really hard to shoot and um, I, I've got I kind of grew through traditional archery buying different bows and trying different things out and uh, in my career I, uh, I kind of get into investigative analytics um, and I wanted when I got done with my education and kind of my career, when I got done working 60 to 70 hours a week and had a little bit of time, I wanted to try to offer people a way to avoid the mistakes that I made in spending a lot of money and trying to find the perfect bow. And if you go to my website, you can see the pursuit of the perfect longbow, right? There's two recurves on my website, I think, and there's like 13 longbows, right, where I'm just trying to find <laughs> a longbow that shoots as good as I want it to. And, uh, I also wanted, because we're a small community of really good giving people. Right. When you get past the internet and you go, if you go to a shoot, you're going to meet some of the best people there are. Yeah. And I wanted to give people <clears throat> an unbiased, unsponsored view so that I wasn't selling them something that my opinion's out of it. It's just the facts. And I don't want somebody spending seven $700 and getting a bad bow. Right. That's what I'm trying right. to avoid. And that upsets some people and uh, with some people uh, value it because I'm not really brand loyal. I look for the best product. And along the way in my studies, people have, I've come to be somehow the metal bow guy. Uh, I do like metal <laughs> bows, but 
I do. <clears throat> I still love my wood bows and right. my wood arrows. And I still shoot them on a regular basis. But two things I'm trying to do is get people not to waste money, and then I'm also trying to give the people that how do I say it? they practice with their recurve or longbow all year, and then when October comes around, they pick up that compound and they go hunting because they just don't have that confidence. Yeah, I'm trying. Yeah. I'm trying to give them a path where you're like, hey, maybe this isn't the super trad path. But this bow is really easy to shoot, and you could get really comfortable shooting with an aiming system with this bow, and you could take it to the woods instead of your compound. Yeah, those are my two objectives. That's that's really cool. That's uh, you know I think we need more of that in traditional bow hunting. I I think uh, you know I I started also when I was real young and then didn't have any money, and uh, went through. I, I could remember some of my arrows coming out of the bow and doing barrel rolls as they went down because i couldn't afford the right arrows even absolutely yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, the old true flight arrows oh. and some of them were bent and some of them had two fletching and yeah it's, those were the days yeah you know and then the frustration of that you know you about ready to put it down and i you know we kind of started barebow hunter for the same reason we we were trying to help people um get into it and and feel a little bit confident enough enough to hunt you know and and shoot out to 30 yards or whatever but um i i that's kind of why we've done what we've done with barebow hunters podcast and um we didn't have a whole lot of that when i was going through it so i spent a lot of money and a lot of time and and uh missed some animals and had some you know things that you don't want to have to deal with because of shots and all that kind of thing so um if we could lessen some of that for somebody else i think we're at least helping out the the lifestyle like you know some of the guys helped us so no i yeah and and i think and i'm really proud to say this if you look today and people speak to the golden era of archery you know back when the recurves were just prior to compounds but i actually think we're in it right now if oh, you yeah if you get to hunt with this younger generation that's you know and they're young they're they're in their early to mid 20s they are the most well educated hunters traditional hunters i i've ever hunted with I mean, they, they, there's so much information out there, and it's starting to get easier to discern the good from the bad. And their shooting is better than ours was at that age. Their knowledge <laughs> is better, and just really, really cool to see the way their shooting's better than going. mine is now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they sure are. I, uh, I recently went on a hunt with you know Blake Hunter, and I was really impressed by those those young men. They were they were great hunters, and they have a lot of resources at their fingertips that we didn't have. And I think that's good because right now hunting is shrinking year over year. Right. Right. So I'm doing everything I can do so people can experience what I experience. I mean, when I shoot a doe, if you were to track my heart rate, yeah, it's no different than when I shoot a buck with a traditional bow, and I just want everybody to feel that. Right, right. And, and then even go beyond that, I mean, nowadays we're looking at meat shortages and everything else like that too so i mean it's it's awesome <laughs> I, i'm actually i was actually almost late because i'm aging meat right now in some coolers and i had to drain them and add some ice underneath them uh, i just got back from texas because i'm i'm literally filling freezers right now for my extended family all right on in preparation for possibly another shortage coming this winter yeah yeah, and I, I'd like to say I was filling freezers, but uh, I didn't fill anything through the spring bear season. We kind of got stuck on this one big bear and couldn't get off of him. I probably could have, if I would have got off of him and started, you know, hitting the clear cuts, we would have done better. But I don't know. I haven't got a chance to hunt bear, but I, like I was telling you before we started, I'd really like to. I went down to London Oaks, and 
there they have it's it's not a canned hunt by any means but it is a texas style high fence 1200 acre ranch but they have these exotics so you can get the best meat in the world oh, wow. down there yeah you know access, i brought home a, a lot of axis meat and some scimitar oryx meat just, oh wow uh, just great meat that i'm filling freezers with yeah right on yeah i wish i was closer i'd like to try one of those <laughs> yeah it's good stuff yeah so um one of the reasons that I reached out to you to try to get you on the podcast is um, I had some questions from some of the guys. I asked, you know, what they wanted to hear. And they were asking me questions about um, fletching. And a lot of, and I know, that you've, I know that you've messed around with a lot of profiles um, and links and might have messed around a little bit with, um, you know, if they're right wing or left wing or straight. I don't, but I kind of wanted to get on on here and clear up some of these questions for the guys that were asking me um what you have found with fletching i actually switched over because i listened to your you and the pushes podcast and if you guys haven't heard that podcast yet you need to go check that out because there's so much information over there and uh, i actually switched to trad veins and shooting three three inch trad veins so oh my gosh that's that's the devil i know so yeah that's a, a wood that bow a, yeah absolutely um i think the trad lab episodes i think there's four of them now with the push and the first one um i i i like to think i'm getting a little better every time i produce one but the first one was me just diving into five inch feathers and i i don't know what i'm going to find when i dig into these sure but, um, i i found in that one that uh, there was a lot of velocity decay with a five inch feather and i also found that whenever you got them wet there was an, a, a major loss in velocity and <clears throat> it changed the tune more than i thought because i was shooting five inch feathers of course right like everybody and, else <clears throat> right and when you and i were young we didn't have foc the concept didn't really exist so right you were shooting you were shooting an xx75 and you were shooting 125 grains up front and you had five inch feathers on the back and that's that's kind of what was required or what was available and basically uh, the long and the short of it is uh, our knowledge has changed and everything in every component of the arrow or bow <laughs> affects one another so the more foc you have the less vein you need or feather you need and we just kind of came to that in the study <clears throat> and then we started showing the detriments of having excess drag right and that really comes at crosswinds those big feathers will will throw you off target much more than um, a smaller vein or a smaller feather and when i say off target I don't mean impacting off target because I, I made that mistake before by using that term. I shouldn't have just used it at this moment. What I mean is the angle of entry on target. Gotcha. Gotcha. And the, ang the angle of entry on target is really, really critical for, for penetration. Right. So, so you're, you're saying when, when the front of the arrow hits, um, it hits at an angle is, is kind of what I'm, I'm gathering. Right. Right. Yeah. And, so when you're um so when the arrow's going down is there a significant dif significant difference in ranges or is, does this happen right out of the bow or uh if, if i remember when the five inch feathers are are wet it happens uh immediately and there was a big you know a big theory was that the five inch feathers help you recover faster and if you 
uh, saw the last um, leak video that the push put out, we we had a high-speed camera where we're actually filming arrows coming out of the bow at 10 yards, and at, uh, I think it was 25 yards. And you, they're not paradoxing like we've always been told. <laughs> out of mo- out of modern equipment. I don't know if you've seen that or not. I have not, but I'm going to now. <laughs> yeah, it's on their Facebook page, and and you can literally see these arrows. You know, every slow motion video we had ever seen shows these big noodly arrows flying through the air and going around our bow. Right. And, you know, the archer's paradox that we've all discussed. Well, <clears throat> today's more modern bows, not just metal, because you know. I was told this was propaganda for metal risers. A metal <laughs> riser where you can get a true center shot, you certainly are stabilizing faster. Sure. But even modern recurves like Black Widows and uh, you know Bob Lee's Wingard, they're cut much further past center right. than right. than the old school days where we're still some of the old school knowledge is bleeding in, but our technology is taking care of it. We're finding that these arrows are recovering much faster, and you don't require that drag combined with center shot and your FOC placement. Right. And uh, it's velocity decay is critical. I mean, don't get me wrong, but speed isn't everything. It's angle of entry, and that arrow recovering is everything. And I've done a lot of studies between now and that first episode, so I'm starting to truly understand the impact of a straight arrow hitting perpendicular on on a game, on an animal. Right. And, um, you know, I'm... And I think I, I posted this on my drive back from Texas this week where I'm convinced now after I'm doing these lethality studies in Texas where I'm shooting these animals and, of course, I'm eating them and I'm processing them. Right. I, I got a complete pass-through on a scimitar oryx, which is some, one of the toughest skinned animals I've ever dealt with. And big. And big, right. Right. And complete pass-through. It's about seven yards behind him into the ground and with enough force to chip the naturally the tip of my iron will brought it <laughs> and the axis deer which is a really really jumpy twitchy fast deer right i only i only got eight and one eighth out of the exact same bow the exact same arrow the exact same tune i got eight and one eighth inch penetration on that deer and the difference and, and the difference being that axis you know i aimed four inches low that axis jumped low and rolled high where the exit wound was was near the spine Wow. That's how hard they roll. And, you know, we don't really talk about that much right now. We talk about bone, but I've saved all my scabulas. They're in the ice chest. I plan to take them out in the backyard this weekend and shoot through them with my 3D arrows and field tips because I know I can. Yeah. yeah. It's not, we shouldn't fear bone. We should fear the bad flight of an arrow or a terrible angle of entry. It's what, I'm, what I've learned in the long. So finding the right fletching configuration that gives us that was, was the, is the goal. Right, right. And, you know, um, I have shot, so I, I made a video shooting shoulder blades, and I've shot cow shoulder blades and everything else, and I think you're exactly right. If you got a nice straight shooting arrow and uh, you, haven't, you, know, you, you haven't dissipated all that energy from a really long shot, um, I, man, I, I've punched through every bone that I've shot at. Did we lose you? Are you there? No, no, I'm talking to mute. I can't oh. have a podcast where I don't talk to a mute. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it's my tradition. I apologize. But, <laughs> no, you know, I, I completely agree with you. And, you know, I think Ashby studies did wonders for us because I'm, I'm again, old enough to remember 125 grain heads and really poor tunes. And I think the work that he did was 
really groundbreaking because at that time when he released that, I don't know if you remember overdraws on compounds, but everybody oh, yeah. was chasing speed. Yep. And here comes here comes Ashby with this heavy arrow stuff. And right. Spot on. But what what I'm what I why I'm doing the current studies that I am that are underway now. We're doing an arrow study, and we have a little bit of fletching uh, factors that we can talk about. That's in that, but. I'm really trying to show people, and I may be wrong, I don't have all the results yet, but what I always joke is what Ashby proved without a doubt with all of his studies and hard work doesn't have anything to do with arrows or broadheads. It has to do with people hear what they want to hear. Right. And if you look if you look at his studies and how he has those ordered, everyone wants to talk about broadheads and single bevel versus double bevel, but right. they're, not, they're not shooting a clean arrow. So that's really what we're just trying to do a parallel path study and get back to that. Right. Uh, the fletching study that was prior to that, I did look at five inch, four inch, three inch, and I looked at 75, I looked at different configurations of veins and feathers. And I came to the conclusion by shooting over a long distance and tracking velocity decay over every, in 10 yard increments and shooting in a crosswind that uh, four by 90 uh, configuration was uh, performed the best and at that time I think I was using razors in the study but the gateway razors have a lot of variation so I've I've, I've since moved to a two inch true flight they've come out with a very short shield and I also use the tough head fletching when I'm using feathers that's what I use this weekend as a matter of fact and when I'm not running that I'm running trad veins right and, or I'm I got a pack right here the uh, hybrid 26 AAEs, I'll run those when I want a better vein. When it's it's a little bit thicker, but it's not quite as rock hard as a compound vein. If I want some real precision, that's what I run. And um, I think it was the third vein study where I purchased some sound equipment and I laid it out. And that's when the discovery came to me that veins are so much quieter than feathers where I just switched over completely. The only time I run feathers now is when I'm shooting through a screen in a blind. Right. Right, yeah, I I've shot the trad veins and just just by shooting them alongside a feather, you could tell that they're quite a bit more quiet. And one of the things that I do is I'll put a camera down towards the target because you know everybody talks about string jump and there's no such thing as far as I'm concerned. I think it's arrow jump, and I think the, if you hear that arrow coming, you never hear the bow, you hear the arrow. It's funny. It's almost like we we've, we've never met prior to this podcast, so I. It's, uh, we agree a lot. It's not like we staged this, but I, I completely agree. And what I tell people, I'm like, you're a prey animal, and you hear something hissing and moving at a high rate of speed towards you. What are you going to do? <laughs> right? it, they're they're, they're going to duck, and they're going to turn, and that's what happens. So um, I really focus on having a really, really quiet arrow, and I got really nerdy in uh -huh. the sound uh, my first year. I, I left speed. I abandoned speed completely, and I took my... My Tolki Super D is the quietest bow I've tested to date. I, I mean, to the point where I, I say that on almost every podcast uh -huh. because there's nothing there's nothing other than a self bow. I've, we've found some self bows that are quieter, but in terms of what you can buy, it's about as good as it gets for sound. And I took that quiet bow to try to remove that sound out of it, and I really, really tested arrow design and got it down to uh, the most quietest arrow I can possibly get where Based on my sound equipment, I can get an arrow on normal ambient sound days during hunting situations. You know, you're in the high 40 to low 50 decibels. Hmm. You get that arrow within nine yards before it will exceed that. Right. Versus 
some loud arrows that are 12 and 13 yards away that you can hear them hissing. The equipment can before it hits the target. Right. And that, you know, in the reaction time of an animal, that's a lot. Yeah, I don't think we make a, I don't think a bow's made to, uh, you know, especially whitetail, uh, the axis that I just took this weekend, they, they are so fast and they react um, so quick, there's not a bow made that can outrun them. So right. what, what I try to do is I try to manage the speed of sound and uh, just leverage sound and get the arrow to them. Right, right. Yeah, and so um, have you ch- have you checked, have you tested, like, difference in right or left helicals or anything like that? <laughs> yeah, I have. Um, in the first study, we had some left and we had some rights. And then I don't know if you saw, and there, there wasn't a big difference. Um, what we found is, uh, and Timmy spotted it, it's, you know, it's just how your your broadhead's coming loose. So <laughs> yeah. I used to run left. And right, then, like everybody else? <laughs> like everyone else. And I'm like, well, he's right. My broadheads are coming. I didn't even find that through all my hard stati- statistics work. That was Timmy, like, busting me. <laughs> and uh, they, I've switched to right just to keep those tight. Um, then, I don't know if you remember, but I think it was Levi came out with a video that showed um, Levi Morgan on the compound side, he showed that he sets up his left and right based on his string twist, or I shouldn't say st- string twist, based on how the arrow naturally comes out of the bow. Gotcha. And, uh, on If you take a bear shaft and you put a marker, like a mark on the 12 o'clock position, uh-huh. and you stand six feet away from your target and shoot, you can go pull your target and see which way your arrow is naturally turning off of your bow. Huh. And his theory is that um, he wants to match that, because at some point, if your if your arrow is coming out clockwise, and your veins or feathers are pushing it the other way, at some point your arrow will actually stop spinning and then have to counteract that. Right. And um, <clears throat> you know, there's no doubt in my mind when you're Levi Morgan, everything matters. When you're Cody Greenwood, that may not matter. I've got to figure that out, and uh, that's in my current test. I have actually behind me. I hear I have two identical arrows. One's left and one's right. And I already know which way the arrow is coming out of my bow, so I'm going to track velocity decay uh, right. off of that setup. I haven't done that yet, but right now I'm running right. Um, but most strings are twisted in a way that left would match the turn of your your arrow, from what I've found. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So I'm I'm not a big. Well. Let me, let me put it this way. I'm shooting a 54-pound bow, and I'm shooting a 650-green arrow. And uh, the only problem I have with it is I shoot purely instinctive, just like, you know, most everybody did in our era. And um, so one of the problems that I'm having is that arrow drops a ton after 30 or even after 25. So trying to compensate instinctively after 25 is kind of a pain. I've missed a turkey yeah. at you know twenty seven, twenty eight because of it, and one of the one of the things that I, I'm working at trying to figure out is how to make how how to be able to shoot a heavy arrow and pick up a little bit of speed to flatten that trajectory out. And that I, you know, when you're starting to talk components and things like that, it's probably just going to be arrow weight or go up in pounds and bow. But <laughs> have you seen yeah. any significant changes in uh, speeds? Yeah. I mean, if you, if you really, if I take, and, and this current study, we're starting with a rough tune. 
a good tune and then a perfect tune or as perfect as I can get it to show the difference in speeds. And we've talked about this on previous podcasts. Right. You can you can really pick up, you know, easily six to thirteen feet per second by just hyper tuning your bow, getting a good string, um, <clears throat> taking some weight out of your strings. I don't know if you listen to the silencer study. But what I tell people, everything in, in archery, because it's physics, is a trade-off. So if you right. pull a lever to go one way, right. you're, you're giving something up somewhere else. So if you want to have a quiet bow, take the weight out of your string with your big silencers, put lightweight silencers in there, and run a little bit heavier arrow. Right. right. And you, you get your quiet, you get your momentum. So you're going to have to pay the piper. So to your – and. I always joke that there's an Indian graveyard everywhere I shoot at 23 to 26 yards. That's where, <laughs> no matter what bow I'm shooting, right? No matter, 3D, and there's a reason why IBO sets up their targets at 26 yards for the most part. Uh, it's you know if you misjudge that range by three yards, you're you're going to see it. So that's just the the natural arc, and really the best thing that you can do is get a well-tuned bow so that it's not recovering in the air because that bleed off creates noise and velocity decay, significant and if somebody can tune their bow, they can get in there in wet sand and get a few feet per second. But if you just take the average person that we see at KZU, at Compton's, at ETAR, and you cut their feathers off and let them shoot, those arrows are flying 45-degree angle right. downrange right. And, or, or really knock high. And I try to get people to just refine that tune. They don't have to nerd out like me, but just refine that tune so that you can get, you know, a really good walk back tune. Bear shaft seems to confuse, especially new archers. A walk back tune will, will really reap a lot of benefits in terms of your trajectory and, and your velocity, which will also lead to a good momentum. Right. Can you cover what you're talking about in a walk back tune? Uh, sure. Um, so a walk back tune, uh, the- you take a vertical line on your target. And you stand at, what I, I start at 20 yards, you can start wherever you want. You can start at 10 yards, and you shoot at the exact same spot on the target. So at 10 yards, I'll shoot an arrow, and I'll back up to 20 yards. I'll aim at that exact same spot, I'll shoot an arrow. And you don't adjust for your your distance at all. And what you want to read is that how the arrows stack into the target. So you'll know that if your arrows are moving from center to left, you know you have a right, you have some stiff arrows. Right. Right. And what you want to see is as you move back, you want to see a perfect vertical line. Right. And and they'll be stacked on top of each other. And when you get that perfect vertical line, that means you're tuned. And if you bear shaft tune up back to 30 and 40 yards, you can really, you can get a few more, uh, obviously, feet per second out of that. But really, if people would just walk back tune, they'd be significantly better than, the, than average. And right. uh, that's pretty easy to do because you can leave your feathers on and you don't have to worry about the feathers making your arrows stiffer it's very easy to do and you can do it in your backyard yeah yeah that's good that that's something i guarantee you is going to help people that are listening to this podcast so so well let's move on i think you answered i think you answered a lot of the fletching questions that i had brought up to me um so one of the things that i do on this podcast is i always want to ask people what um their favorite animal to hunt is and what they really want to hunt that they haven't hunted yet. Mm. <laughs> oh, man. You know, and, and if I didn't have this weekend under my belt, I'm, I would have a completely different answer. But <laughs> having 
having taken that axis buck with a recurve was just amazing. Uh-huh. And uh, I've hunted uh, out there several times, and it's really hard to get an axis anywhere near you. They're so wary and they're so fast. And unlike whitetail, they don't spook and hang around. The moment you spook them, they're gone and you don't see them again. And, right. Um, having the opportunity to take that one, uh, that was a, re- and they're a beautiful animal. They're like a little miniature elk, you know, in terms of yeah. their antlers. Yeah. And, uh, a lot of muscle on them, a lot of meat, and the meat is literally the best red meat available on earth. Uh, everyone wrote me and told me that. And as I'm processing it, you know, it looks, <laughs> it's just the best looking meat there is. So it made me a hero to my mother-in-law. My first, I've been married 24 years. My mother-in-law said, man, I'm glad you're a hunter. It's the first time that's ever happened. So bringing home better quality meat than whitetails paid off. But that was a, that's, I would, I have axis fever right now. Um, outside of that, um, I have a mule deer hunt coming up this year with top of Texas outfitters. That is probably going to be a lifetime hunt for me. Right on. I've, ever since I've, I went out at hunting last year, and I, I never spot and stalked anything. I've always just whitetail hunted. Right. And um, having the opportunity to do that and and see what that experience is like was a blast. So I'm I'm real excited to mule deer hunt this year, and I'm kind of gearing my entire season around that specific hunt. But um, I've hunted elk. Um, I think right now I would. I had an option this weekend. I'd go back axis hunting, but uh, looking forward <laughs> to mule deer hunt for sure. Okay, so access hunting, uh, access, right? Access, no. yeah. So, what is the the method of hunting them? How how do you hunt them? Is it spot and stock so, or tree stand yeah. or? Well, I mean, they're so weary. Spot and stock is going to be really really difficult. So it's uh, down in Texas. There's there's free range out uh, out at there's free range out at, but there's free range access out there. Most of those guys are hunting over water holes and trying to get them to just like you would hunt a whitetail. You're trying right. to hit them on a corridor. Right, and you're trying to hit them uh, coming into water or to food. They're just extremely uh, wary. They're a lot, they're a lot spookier than whitetail, and they're so fast and powerful that you take a whitetail like a six-year-old doe that you know is going. You know, you've, we've all had that six-year-old doe at twenty yards broadside. Just like, go ahead, fat boy, send it. Right, you, right. you know she's going to. You know she's going to duck. Right, and these things, I had him at twenty-two and twenty-one yards for probably eight minutes. And that's rare for an axis to hang around that long. And I, I didn't take the shot because they they jump so hard. So they're uh, you just have to be really patient with your shot, and uh, you have to get you have to get lucky and hunt them just really similar to whitetail. Right on, right on. So what did you finally end up shooting him at? I shot him at seventeen. He came in. I had two come in at the exact same time. He came in downwind of me with his nose up in the air, looking my way. So I assumed I was busted. But for some reason, he, he edged off. He stayed inside the tree line. So he I think he knew he was a little wary. He stepped out of the tree line at 21. And, you know, I'm weighing the probability of me. There's hitting the animal, and then there's retrieving the animal, right? Right, right. And uh, I'm like, no, I've got to wait. I've got to wait. And he got to 17, and I, felt, I drew, and I told myself when I get back here at anchor, if it feels good, I'm going to send it. And it felt good. And I dropped it low and sent it. And he still ducked hard and I <laughs> caught him. And, uh, <clears throat> if you can imagine, I'm level on the ground with him. I shoot 17 yards and impact him. And he rolled so hard that it hit his spine. Wow. On the, the exit, I caught a lung and a spine. Wow. If you can imagine that on level ground. Wow. And, um, 
so he, he dropped right where he stood. Then he, you know, it was over because he, he got the, I got the lung and uh, just talking to experienced hunters down there in Texas, they, that's very common. They, they just jump so hard. So it's knowing the animal and knowing how they're going to react. Right. Axis is fun. That's cool. That's cool. Now, had I just shot an elk last weekend, I'll, I'm a liar. So like next time you interview me, <laughs> if I had just shot a mule deer, I'm like, I'm a mule deer hunter, period. That's it. Or I'm an elk hunter, period. If you take me on a bear hunt, that's so you're catching me on my 48 hour high. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, no elk are mine still. I elk, that's one of my favorite animals ever to hunt, and um, the reason yeah. is because they they bugle. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, they do. They uh, there. I've had them. I had the opportunity to, to hunt them when they were bugling. It's just turned into the. It really has. I blame Aaron Snyder, but it's turned into the <laughs> cash crop, and uh, it's it's a really expensive hobby now. Uh, there's a lot of people doing it, so I'm I'm giving that a little bit of a space, a little bit of space. I'll yeah. try to get a cow this year, maybe. Yeah, yeah, and like we were talking before, we need to get you out here, and maybe we'll do like a a, a camp out here next year for uh, fall bear because it's it's really inexpensive in Oregon for people to come out, and we have a lot of bears, and uh, it's a matter of whether what you want to do, you know, whether you're gonna shoot a smaller one or a big one depends on what you, what you want to do, but. Um, I think it's like 225 bucks for licensing tags out here. So, wow, that's really yeah. I, I would take you up on that for sure. I uh, I've never got to bear hunt, uh, but I would love to try it. Yeah, it's it's a great time of year to be out here too. We hunt them pretty much in the same areas that we hunt our elk. Um, during that time of year, we we like to hunt them up in the berries, like in the huckleberries, and mm-hmm. and it's so it's a spot and stock thing. <laughs> it's pretty fun. Yeah, that would be, I would much rather do a spot and stock than a, than a bait, but I would do either one. But yeah, spot and stock is so fun. Yeah, there, there's no baiting or dogs in Oregon. There hasn't been since 1996, and that's why we have so many, and that's why we try to get people to come out here and hunt them, um, just so we could get some of the numbers down. Uh, just in our area, they offer 4,000 tags for the spring hunt o- alone, and that's the draw hunt. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I have a I have a diesel, so I'm not afraid to put miles on it. And diesel's cheap right now, so let me know. I'm, uh, I'm ready to go. There you go. There you go. Well, thanks a lot for coming on. I sure appreciate it. I wanted to just kind of get you on here. And uh, like I said, I had some guys asking about fletching. And so hopefully we'll get you on here again. You know, I'll get some more questions about aero stuff and, and uh, the stuff that you're testing. And hopefully help some of these guys out that are getting into this. For sure. I think the only the, the, the other standard question is usually parabolic versus shield, which we didn't oh, right. talk about. Parabol- parabolic does come back as um, quieter, obviously. And I always tell people, you know, it's a trade-off between looking cool and, and being a little bit quieter. And right. You had asked me before we started, and I want to get as much information into this as I can, on helical and or right. offset or straight. I never run straight. Uh, I run helical right now, and I would like to be able to tell you what degree it is, but I just, I get it maxed on the arrow <laughs> and it's a trade-off because if you run an offset, it's quieter. The more drag you have, the more sound you're going to have, Right. but I'm just trading off on, all right, my helical is going to have a little bit more sound, but my angle of entry is going to be, you know, better uh, when, when crosswinds happen or when I don't do my job when I should. So that's a trade-off I'm willing to accept. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I run, 
I, you know, there's so many things that were pounded in my head when I was young that, um, you know, it would be really hard for me not to run a helical feather or vein. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, I, 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 I think helical is required, especially with trad gear, you know, for recovery reasons, but it's, um, it's always a trade off, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and the, and the thing is, is, um, you know, even going to trad veins, I, you know, I, I shot trad veins for blacktail season because it rains, it's raining and snowing during that time of year here. So, and just to even fletch those things up, it was like, I felt like I was creating, <laughs> I was doing something wrong. <laughs> you're, yeah. You're, and, and yeah, it's a lot of people. I, and I really think, I know you're trying to close this. I, I really think that's what held me back and holds a lot of people back as my own definition of trad. I remember when I didn't right. want to switch to three under because it wasn't trad. <laughs> right. Right. I, I remember when I didn't want to use gap because it wasn't trad. I remember when I didn't want to use carbon arrows because it right. wasn't trad. It was my definition of traditional that, that kept me from yeah. using methods that gave me the confidence to shoot in the woods. And then I would use a compound like a dummy <laughs> instead of just changing a few things. Right. You know, I did. I used, when I first started using carbons, I had guys that I hunted with actually make fun of me for using carbons. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like I told him, I said, you know, back then I had young kids and I, I just didn't have a whole lot of time to, you know, to get a set of wood arrows that are that are shooting right. Uh, you got to right. go through tons of shafts. It's a lot of money and time. And don't get me wrong, those guys that drop it's cool. animals with an arrow, that yeah. is so cool. Yep. And if we both dropped an animal and I did it with, with carbon and you did it with wood, I tip my hat to you, brother. Yeah. And uh, I love my wood arrows, but yeah, it's just our own definitions of trad are kind of what right. now I run a fixed crawl, right? So I've, I've actually progressed further where, I, you know, I run a fixed crawl and I aim all the way down that arrow and it's just like sh looking down the barrel of a shotgun. Right. And you have the confidence to shoot um, in a lot of situations where you normally wouldn't. And right. That's not trad, but it's. Uh, I see myself. The words without a compound. Yeah, I see myself going somewhere that way too. You know, these longer shots, uh, and I'm not afraid to take a longer shot on a turkey. But um, these longer shots that I've missed on a couple turkeys, I'm, you know, I'm thinking maybe I better start thinking about gap shooting, or maybe I better start doing this or that. So. Yeah. I, you got to have a plan as they say yeah yeah it's it's just been so many years you know that um you know the old thing was you just burn a burn a hole in the target and let her fly and i spent a lot of time doing that and finally got pretty proficient and so i haven't changed and it's going to be hard but as i see some of the stuff going on um there's there's some things out there that probably might make me change so yeah it's just a matter yeah it's a matter of um, how proficient do you want to be and yep. how much time do you have? Cause I, I know people that are great instinctive archers, but they, they shoot a lot. Yeah. A lot. It takes, and they shoot consistently a lot cause you lose it uh, really fast. But um, for the average people um, having an aiming method is a pretty good idea. And what I always tell new people is that gap eventually turns into an instinctive gap. You may start really like, oh, I need 10 inches here. Right. In six months of shooting, you don't even see inches. You see a sight picture. And, and pretty soon that, that turns into that gap stinctive everybody talks about. So Right, right. 
challenge the definition of trad and be a better archer and that in turn makes you a better hunter right right and get get some of those preconceived ideas out of there (laughs) sure yep sure all right well thanks a ton for coming on i sure appreciate it um yeah, we'll have to get you back on here. I'm sure I'm going to have a bunch of people asking questions, and uh, maybe I'll send those questions on over to you and send them over to your website. You probably have answered a lot of them on your website, and they they could just go check that out or listen to the push. The, you did a yeah. ton with the push. Yeah, all of my all of the Trad Lab stuff is with the push. Those guys gave me my first opportunity, and they kind of helped me turn it into digestible stuff. So yeah. they go to the pusharchery.com yeah you can see they have training there they have their alpha packs there and if you go to the push podcast look for the trad lab episodes and uh, that's where all of my work is and um and we we talk about it openly and then we can get on the facebook pages and we can you can ask questions or send me emails and right on and that's the trad lab for you guys, you know, cause I, I, I noticed there's some other trad lab yeah. stuff on there. Yeah. It's there's the, another trad lab. So yeah. that's, that's the way it works. So yeah. My Instagram is the trad lab one right. word. And then uh, the website's the same. And, right. Um, I'll, I'll respond to everybody and I'm always happy to help. And usually I end up learning more than I learn more than I help sometimes. But, uh, getting more experience. ideas too. <laughs> that's right. Certainly do. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks a bunch for coming on and, uh, you guys, thanks for listening to the Barebow Hunters podcast. And if you could, uh, leave us a review over on iTunes. Uh, I think Stitcher's got one too. I don't know. But if you guys could do that, it would help us out a bunch. So, all right. Thanks a bunch. Thanks for joining us on another edition of Barebow Hunters podcast. Hey, if you like what you heard, please give us a rating down below. We like the five stars. And uh, follow us also on Instagram under Barebow Hunters. Go to our YouTube account, Barebow Hunter at YouTube under the Life Outdoors heading. So that's uh, Barebow Hunters YouTube under the Life Outdoors. Also, go and join Barebow Hunter Group on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>